Welcome to Eye to Eye, the podcast of the Royal College of Ophthalmologists. My name is Sunil Mamtora, and I will be your host. Today, I'm speaking with Andy Pyatt, a consultant ophthalmologist who works in Inverness. Andy, thanks so much for joining me today to talk about your experiences of medicine and ophthalmology all over the world. Now, we've had a really interesting discussion before we've even started recording this podcast. And I was just wondering to start with, could you share with the listeners actually what motivated you to do ophthalmology in the first place? Well, um, if I'm being really naughty when people ask me this question, I say that uh, if you want to be involved in any kind of development work, then there are really only two things that you should consider doing. One is public health and the other is ophthalmology. Uh, I've never been very good with numbers and I like using sharp instruments. So that kind of narrowed the choice down. It had to be ophthalmology. And the, the reason I say that, and it, it is very naughty, but it is possible as an, as an ophthalmologist to make such a difference to so many people with the interventions that we make. And, uh, you know, time has really paid that out. And I, I've found I've just been so fortunate having a wonderful and fascinating life traveling around the world, sometimes for short periods, sometimes for longer. Um, but I've made wonderful friendships um, around the globe and it's been so exciting. That's really interesting. Now, before we get into some of the you know finer details about exactly what you've done, where you've traveled and what you've achieved, could you maybe share a bit about your journey as to, you know, once you started ophthalmology, how did you actually get into working abroad and working with humanitarian projects? Well, I suppose um, the reality is that both my side of the family and my wife's side of the family, we'd grown up with either travel or stories of travel. So as a family, the idea of moving out from the UK was, was not something new. Pretty early on as a medical student, I realised that I was interested in doing some kind of development work. And my first time overseas was actually uh, doing a project with Tear Fund in Uganda, building hospital accommodation at a rural hospital in the southern part of that country. And that was where I first met uh, Keith Waddell, who is a totally inspirational man who has been living and working in that country for over 50 years and has made major contributions, uh, particularly in the field of retinoblastoma treatment. And so meeting him uh, as a very young medical student really inspired me. And subsequently, I met others who'd been involved in working overseas. And I just thought they were such amazing people and, and was bowled over with the tales of what they'd been able to do with their life. And I thought, well, I want to do that too. And I tried to make sure that all the training I did was going to be useful with that goal in mind. And how did you optimise your training to help you to reach that final goal? Well, in some ways, it was a little bit easier because there were opportunities uh, for working overseas that were recognised by the college. Uh, for instance, the final year of my what was then called Senior Registrar Training was spent at uh, St. John Ophthalmic Hospital in Jerusalem. And I think I was the last person that was able to go through that position uh, recognised by the UK. And that will go down as the most fascinating year of my life. It was just amazing, all the 
experiences I had there, not just um, from a, a social point of view, but the pathology uh, in the Middle East is incredible. Um, part of it due to very high rates of consanguinity, so there are a lot of recessive disease uh, that you would only see in certain pockets in in the UK with um, communities that have have high levels of consanguinity. Mm. You know, I'm aware that medical students who are the winners of the Duke Elder undergraduate exam are able to spend a week in Jerusalem at the Eye Hospital. So that sounds like an amazing opportunity. Yes, and, and and certainly there are also you know elective possibilities for medical students that uh, the the Order of St John is open to uh, individuals going and uh, doing short projects there. In fact, um, even with very short term student elective projects, it, it is possible to achieve quite a lot in a short space of time. A few years ago, um, a medical student from Aberdeen, Anna Rudwanska spent six weeks at Chichendu Eye Hospital in Bandung and she was looking at uh, the lag time in the presentation of patients with RB uh, through to getting treatment started. Uh, the, she was somewhat reluctant to present her findings to the hospital but the local doctors had been really keen to bring about some kind of reform and it was quite difficult for them to be able to speak to those in the senior management positions in the hospital. And it was useful for them to have an outsider who was able to say some things on their behalf. And that was the start of the long journey to getting things uh, going with modern treatments in that particular hospital. Mm. So really in the bulk of this discussion, we need to talk about your time in Indonesia and all the work you've done there. But I need to ask you, how did you choose Indonesia or how did Indonesia choose you? Well, yes, it was it was a little bit, well, not completely by chance. But um, after spending a year in Jerusalem, I worked with a development agency called uh, CBM, who are one of the biggest um, NGOs involved in the management of disability. And at that stage, they were particularly focused on ophthalmology. So I spent four years in Cambodia setting up a, a rural hospital and training program. And then when I returned to the UK in the year 2000, I still kept in touch with CBM and visited projects that they had in other parts of uh, Asia. And one of those visits was going to um, Indonesia, and that was 15 years ago. And it's an enormous country that doesn't really... Uh, appear much on the radar in this country and yet it's the fourth largest country in the world 240 million people and when I was there 15 years ago the blindness rate was equivalent to many countries in sub-Saharan Africa which is really out of kilter with so much else that has been going on in the country so there was there was clearly something that was a bit different in Indonesia compared with with other uh, neighbours uh, in the region and um, I just became drawn to trying to help the Indonesians find a way of improving services there. Mm. So 15 years ago when you went to Indonesia for the first time what was your impression of the reason that eye care was so poor relative to other countries of similar sizes at the time? Um, it's it's a difficult um, t 
to to answer that one. I think part of it would have been in the past there was not so much international travel out with the countries, so that a lot of the the training and experiences were very much within the country, perhaps even just within the the same island, be it Java or Sumatra or Sulawesi. So there was not the same sort of cross-fertilisation that has become very much a part of how training happens elsewhere. I I think that has changed. Um, the, The younger generation are really keen on contact with other parts of the world and it's so much easier now um, for many of them they they adopt youtube as a tutor they get in contact with uh, ophthalmologists that they've met perhaps at meetings and they they continue their education that way One, one of the things that is true is that they seem to have a much better budget for Uh, attending international conferences. So many of them now are attending more international conferences than perhaps happened in the past. And a lot of that is due to the younger generation having having better English. Mm. You know, I do really agree with you that the the amount of resources that are available to us as trainees or even more even senior ophthalmologists is is incredible. You know, we've got simulated surgery courses, webinars, lectures interactive courses it's really amazing and i think these don't just benefit us they benefit people all over the world which is great yes i mean i've been very fortunate that even with the covid lockdown it has still been possible to maintain contact and uh, earlier in the summer i was asked to be part of a webinar uh, that they'd organized um, in south sulawesi and Initially, I thought it was just going to be 260 or 70 that I'd be contributing. And I was uh, slightly taken aback when I logged on and found that there were just short of a thousand people attending. Mm. And that, that was that was a kind of first for me, not only a, a webinar, but also an audience of that size. Well, that sounds like an even higher profile type of event than we host in the UK. Yeah. And. What was very interesting was that much of what we were talking about in that meeting was how does uh, training cope with the COVID era? And I was just amazed at the um, the strides that they'd made to be able to cope with this uh, awful situation that we all find ourselves in and that they had already put in place many of the kind of uh, things that we'd been thinking about doing for the exams. Uh, they were already doing it uh, with online and simulation. Mm. And in fact, uh, in just a couple of weeks' time, I'm going to have to get up extremely early in the morning because they've uh, given me the honour of being an external examiner in one of their OSCEs. And that's going to start at uh, 5 a.m. our Mm -hmm. time. (laughs) Wow, that's really dedication. Uh, So you're going to be an OSCE examiner for the Indonesian equivalent of the FRC Ops exams then? Yes, well, I mean, part of what has uh, stimulated this is that um, over the last 12 years, we've had a link between uh, the University of Dundee here in Scotland. And although I'm you know, not employed by Dundee, I've been a kind of midwife facilitating a link between that university and the university in, in Makassar in South Sulawesi, which is one of the large islands in Indonesia. 
And as a result of that, I have invited different people to come and observe exams. Uh, A few years ago, I was involved in the, the, the Royal College exam in Singapore, and a couple of Indonesians came over to observe process. And so they've been very keen to kind of emulate the the kind of exam system that that we utilize. And so that, I think, is part of the reason that uh, I've been given the honor of being involved in this process. So if we travel back in time 15 years, you're getting off the plane in Indonesia and you're coming to terms with your assessments that you feel that the level of ophthalmology care in Indonesia needs to be improved and you're there to improve it. Where do you begin with such a massive task? <laughs> well, uh, as you say, a massive task. And um, I felt the most important thing was to build up relationships with, with people there and also to find somebody who is going to be a key person in giving surgical training. And it took about two years of traveling around various parts of the country, but I met this amazing surgeon called Ari Ombo, who works in East Kalimantan, which is on the island of Borneo. And he is one of the best surgeons I've ever seen. He is just an amazing man, but with a huge desire not only to work hard, but to provide services to um, poor people who would otherwise not be able to have care. And the other really fascinating thing about Ari is that about 10 years ago, I was contacted by um, CBM in Manila and said, um, we've been contacted by some uh, veterinary surgeons who have got uh, an orangutan who's got cataract. Do you know of a veterinary ophthalmologist who'd be prepared to operate on the animal? And I made some inquiries with some veterinary ophthalmologists I knew here who said that they would not be able to help. So I suggested Ari Ombo, and he achieved national (laughs) fame in Indonesia with his descriptions of how he'd restored sight to an orangutan, which although, you know, has nothing to do with uh, human ophthalmology, there was a spin-off because it gave such a good story that then gave him an opportunity to talk about what his real work was. So that was a real win. Oh, I'd love to see the video of that case. Well, I think if, you, if you're able to understand any Bahasa Indonesia and you look on YouTube, you'll be able to find it. That's funny. In addition to Dr. Ari Ombo, there are so many other Indonesian colleagues who I would have to recognise for the huge contribution they've made to what has changed in the country. But in particular, I would single out uh, Dr. Sumarti from Bandung. Uh, she had been brought over to London um, uh, to spend a year at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. And she has been a key player in ensuring that there was a proper development of community ophthalmology within the country. And she is extremely dedicated and has worked very hard at um, bringing about change. So when you were in Indonesia, what were you actually doing? I mean, did you do surgery? Did you train people in surgery? Were you, were you, you know, uh, fixing complications from other uh, other people's uh, issues? Or what, what was your actual role? No, I 
I really see myself as a facilitator, somebody who is trying to bring together people with the necessary skills who will be able to help. And the more that that can be done from within Indonesia, within Indonesia, the better. So I've really made a point of never using a sharp instrument in Indonesia. Much as I absolutely love being a surgeon, I do not see that as being my place. I mean, what would I achieve if I went for two weeks and, and operated on what was only going to be a drop in the ocean? Uh, it would not really be in the long term achieving anything. So where I've identified that there, there, there are issues that need some support, I look around and try and find who are the people who can help me in this process. So one of the other things that has happened is that every time that we have visited as a team from Dundee uh, going to Makassar, we have seen at least one, if not two, new presentations of retinoblastoma. And that was a very, very distressing thing, knowing that these children, if they'd been born in another part of the world, particularly in Europe or North America or Japan, there, there would be an over 90% chance of not only sight being um, saved, but, but also the life being saved. Whereas in Indonesia, that was not the case. And there were certain things that just didn't match up with, with modern treatment. And it took a little bit of discussion with all the people who were involved in the care of such cases to to try and bring about change. And what, what I managed to do was um, secure some funding to get two doctors to come over from uh, Bandung in uh, Java. Uh, they came over to spend a month in London with Ashwin Reddy and uh, Judith Kingston, who sadly died uh, not so long after they'd left. And, and Judith was the pioneer in modern retinoblastoma treatment, and they benefited enormously from all that they learned from both Ashwin and, and Judith. And so, although it's been quite a long time uh, ticking all the final boxes, in just the last few weeks, um, a retinoblastoma treatment center has uh, been treating the first patients in um, Bandung, and that, that's extremely exciting. That's amazing. So you've been backwards and forwards to Indonesia over the past 15 years. How have you managed to balance that with your full-time consultant post? Because, you know, sometimes I feel that it's difficult to get annual leave from my hospital just to go on a weekend away with my friends, let alone to, you know, take so many trips abroad. How did you manage that? Okay, in, in the early years, um, the, it was quite difficult and I was doing it mostly uh, using annual leave. I've got a very long-suffering family who realised that this was a passion for me and so were forgiving my frequent absences. Sometimes I'd be able to do it with study leave uh, if I was speaking at a conference. Um, but more recently, um, in my work here, have been able to recognise that there is a real benefit in um, allowing me leave to go to Indonesia. And so it's been a bit 50-50 that I've been allowed special leave and also doing a bit of it in my time as well. You know, when you say that there's been a recognition of the benefits that your work does to your local department, could you elaborate a bit further? Yeah, well, I'd say in, in very simplistic terms, I've seen colleagues who've retired at a younger age than I am now 
And part of the reason was that they just got completely jaded and worn out and frustrated with working in the NHS. And yet, if you travel out with this country, not only do you realise just what an amazing thing the NHS is, for all its faults, it, it still provides an amazing service. Um, there are all sorts of things that you learn from seeing how other health systems work, not only that uh, many people are having to work in extremely difficult situations without the resources that we have. Uh, many of the Indonesians who come over on visits here, they are heartbroken at the wastage in our system um, with sharp knives that are used once and then thrown again, whereas they'd be trying to use them many times um, to, to save on costs because the, the health service is not as well funded as it is here. Um, other things that have been of benefit to the service here, I've been stretched in many ways. Um, you know, I've been asked to uh, be involved in, in workshops and conferences on issues about disability, something I didn't know a huge amount about, um, but it was really beneficial for me learning about it in order to be able to deliver the material. In the same way, recognising that there were training needs in um, Indonesia, particularly training of the trainers. I was aware that Melanie Corbett uh, in the college had done a lot of fantastic work in East Africa. And so I asked her if she would be prepared to come to Indonesia to do the same thing. And so we've had uh, three visits to different cities in Indonesia, delivering um, train the trainer programs, which have gone down extremely well with a huge amount of enthusiasm. Not, not only is that beneficial to them, but what I've been learning involved in the training of the trainers has then come back to the benefit of my trainees here in the UK. So for a trainee who's really interested in working abroad with international work, with charity or humanitarian work, what would your advice be? Well, um, there, there are opportunities um, for uh, short-term projects overseas. I think um, it, it is now increasingly recognised that this is beneficial. Um, we have been able to take uh, some trainees with us from um, the, the Tayside uh, training programme. They've come out to Makassar. Uh, they, there are various people I've known who have taken periods out of their training to do research, um, mainly in East Africa. And so th those pr um, possibilities exist uh, and you can make a, a huge um, uh, contribution to the development of eye care in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. So if you look around, the, there are possibilities. Hopefully they would be able to take something of what they've learnt in this country, but uh, what is so important are all the skills that they gain from seeing people having to adapt to different circumstances and they would inevitably meet people with raw skills in uh, rising above difficult situations and so I think it's really important for people to go with the spirit that they are going to learn and it's not just a contribution that they might feel that they're making. Hmm. Yeah, I've just got one final question for you actually it might be an impossible question but I was wondering if you could share with the listeners, you know, what's your fondest, most favourite memory from all the time that you've managed to spend being abroad in Indonesia or elsewhere uh, in ophthalmology? 
Well, I I think um, actually that it's is not that long ago um, because just before shutdown, I was able to go back to Cambodia, which was the first time in 20 years I'd not returned since I left, and it was just such a pleasure to meet the the trainees that I'd um, taken from knowing no ophthalmology. And now they were professors in the department in Phnom Penh and running things and doing a fantastic job. And that was just so thrilling to to meet up with them again and to be able to share memories, but also to see that they were um, able to do so much. And as one of them said, that although you um, were able to operate on quite a number of patients when I was there for four years, that passing the skill on to them just multiplied it so many times and that was that was such a nice thing for him to say that's amazing well andy thank you so much for joining me today i've really really enjoyed speaking to you and i hope you know people will find that really interesting as well okay thank you very much it's been a great pleasure and i hope that there'll be others who'll be able to discover the wonders of moving out from these shores and making great friendships because that's the other thing that has been so important in all this that I've made friends from around the world and it's the building up of those relationships and understanding people and learning from them that I think is the really important thing. As always we'd love to hear from you. If you want to get involved, talk about your work or have any feedback send us a message at communications at rcops.ac.uk